Beginning to read then from this prophecy of Amos. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has not caught nothing at all? If a, if a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? Is there a, If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. <clears throat> well, we're continuing on with the prophecy of Amos that uh, I had started before, we, before I took my break. And um, we see here in this sermon that uh, I've, I've entitled it uh, The Fundamentals of Faith or Fundamentals of Faith. And the idea here in, the, in talking about this, that it doesn't mention the word faith here, but it mentions the things of faith. And what it does is it talks about some of the prerequisites of faith. It, t t it t talks about the, some of the qualifications for faith. And these things are really, really important. Um, uh, oftentimes we forget that uh, before, or uh, we, we can't really define our ideas fully unless we answer all the questions or some of the questions having to do with the things about which we're talking. Uh, for instance, in our country today, we're having tremendous problems understanding the idea of constitution. What is constitution? Well, we know from the past, from our Puritan past, that the constitution has arisen from the, the concept of law. And, uh, and so we won't understand constitution unless we understand law. And we won't understand law unless we understand the obligation that law that we that law has for us, or that we bear towards the law, especially the law of God, and it's because we miss on some of the the prerequisites of these of these uh, questions and these definitions that we're we're really in trouble today. So this is a good passage to study to remind ourselves about how uh, we just can't use words loosely. We have to understand what we're talking about, and so. This passage is talking about the people of Israel and their relationship to God, and it gives us a number of ways that we ought to be thinking about that relationship. And I've got three, um, three, three qualifications here. Number one, faith is personal for better or worse. Number two, personal is responsible so we can talk about the responsibilities of this personal relationship. And then thirdly, the personal is real. 
So many people, if I just skip from the, the last idea by way of introducing the whole concept, so many people today talk about faith and they talk about their faith and uh, yet they, it's, it's a very unexplored concept. And so, uh, the uh, or they'll talk about the Lord, but they don't talk about the qualifications of, of God. One of the one of the favorite phrases in the Bible of the Lord it calls the Lord the living God the living God why is that well because it's not just a, the, the the Lord God Jehovah is not just a God concept I mean it's it's a happy thing if he is at least conceptual if we understand that but the God, the God of the Bible is not just an idea he is a living reality and so they call him the living God but so many people today, whenever we get into this kind of diversity thinking or the thinking that all great ideas or all the ideas of men are equally ultimate, we lose perspective on the fact that there is only one God who really who actually exists. The Bible tells us about that in the Old Testament by, by comparing the idols of the nations uh, to himself as the living God. He says... Uh, do they have ears? If they have ears, but do they really hear? Because they they carve ears on these idols of theirs, these false gods. But God would compare Himself to them. Uh, they, they 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 He would mock the fact that they these gods were carved out, that they were made from clay or whatever, but they just sat on a shelf. And he would compare them to Himself, who was living and active and powerful and able to make great changes in the earth. And so it's very, very important that we understand our, our religious words, our Christian words, in uh, the ways that the Bible would have us to do. And so <clears throat> the first point here is that the faith is personal. Now, God here is addressing Israel. He's talking about the relationship that the people have with him. He's bringing some bad news to them, that he's on the verge of bringing judgment upon them. But as he tells them about this, he he makes it clear that they are in a, a relationship with him that we I would call personal. It has to do with their personality characteristics. Uh, in the creation, God created us uh, with, uh, uh, with minds, with a capacity to reason and to think of concepts. Uh, in the creation, God tells us his name. He says that he is Jehovah, uh, the living God. And in the New Testament, he tells us that his only begotten son is named Jesus or Yahshua, uh, who would save us from our sin. So God tells us a great deal about himself. God doesn't just want us to have a vague um, religious idea about him. He wants us to know that whatever we know about him, whatever we know about him, He's also personal with us. When we study the attributes of God, there are two terms that we use to define them, the communicable attributes of God and the in incommunicable attributes of God. When we talk about the communicable attributes of God, we're talking about ways in which God compares to us, like God is love. That's a communicable attribute. He communicated that to us. Now, the Bible says God is holy and God is uh, omnipresent, God is spiritual. Those are ways which we, we do not really compare with God in the terms of uh, spirituality that he's everywhere at once, that he occupies 
that, that his spirit, there's nowhere in space where his spirit does not dominate. We're not like that. But when it comes to things like love, when it comes to things like uh, 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 movement, God is the living God, but he created us as living, breathing creatures. So uh, in these ways, God, God created us so that our, our attributes, our ability to know him, our ability to love him, and these kinds of things, when they are applied to God, that is how we define a, a relationship, a, a personal relationship. So it's not enough. The evangelists will, will preach and they'll say it's not enough for us to just know about God or even to know that God exists and that God is real. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a powerful step up from just a, kind of an abstract awareness that God might be there, that God might exist. That's better. But God is much more than that. And so when we, uh, when we pause and when we pray to God, and we have a sense of the mysterious presence of God, that's not just a mysterious kind of confusion of our minds. That is our faith perceiving the existence of God in our lives. And uh, people won't even want to do that if they don't know about Jesus, if they, won't, if they don't know about their forgiveness of sins, if they don't know about the righteousness that Christ can convey to them by the by his righteousness they'll be too afraid to really uh, get personal with God but if if we know Christ Christ is the door and if we know Christ in that sense then we will be able to relate to God God is personal now as we see verse 1 we see all the personal dimensions that are spoken of here in verse 1 first of all uh, Amos shouted out he said hear this word that the Lord and the the word that's printed Lord in our Bibles is the uh, is the word for is the word Jehovah in Hebrew. So hear the word that Jehovah has spoken against you. So it starts out with kind of bad news because God is speaking about a personal relationship, but it's cast in the negative. God is speaking a word against you, Israel. Now He calls Israel. O children of Israel, another personal term. And then he says against the whole family. A family is a personal term. So we know from these first words that God considers us part of his family. He, he considered us, considers us his children. He speaks to us words. And so he speaks here a word, but it is uh, additional to the other words that he's already spoken to us. They're in, included in the scriptures. And then he says, uh, speaking of this family that he's speaking against, he says, against the whole family, which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying. So this reminds us that this, this people to whom he is speaking, this is not a new thing. He created them at the creation in some senses uh, of, their, of their, their being, what they were like as human beings. And then in time, he created them as, as Israel. They were his people. And when he saw that they had grown in great number but were, were, were contained or captivated as slaves in Egypt, he saved them from that slavery. He redeemed them. He brought them up from the land of Egypt, saying, so we see these personal terms right away. The God of the Bible is not an abstraction. It's not a conception of man. 
that, that, that has its origination in man. The God of the Bible exists in and of himself, and he reveals himself to us as the human being, the creation, the creature of the creation. He reveals us by his spirit unto us. And so, as I said before, this should give us pause. We are not in control of this relationship, especially as sinners. Uh, we know in the Garden of Eden that God would come into the garden and Adam and Eve would rejoice at his presence. They would have a sense of his presence, the blessing of his presence. They would have an intuition of it immediately. That was the original faith, the creation faith that they had. But once sin had entered the world, their faith was dashed. It was corrupted. It was killed in, uh, in, any, in, in the sense of any normalcy. And so now when God entered the garden, they had a sense of fear and trembling for the presence of God. And so many intellectuals today, they think that their aversion to God is of their own doing. They're so proud of us that they are, that they are, as Satan said to Adam and Eve, that they now can discriminate between good and evil. No, 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 no. The intellectual is caught up in his own neurosis of his uh, obsession with his safety. And the very thought of a living God, Romans 1 says, the very thought of a living God puts people in fear. And so that which modern man prides himself in is really a liability uh, and uh, a handicap uh, of his heart and mind. It's a handicap of faith. In this case, uh, Israel had been formed as a nation. They had come forth. They had been taught by previous prophets, who think especially of Moses, the great prophet who gave them the law and revealed so much to them. The, the first five books of the Bible, the book of uh, the, the law as it was given in Exodus and Deuteronomy, God revealed so much to Israel. And uh, they, said, uh, they said about the Lord in Deuteronomy 4, they said, is there any people in this world, thinking of all the divergent peoples of the world, the different cultures, the different ethnic Groups. Is there any people in the world who are so intimate with God? Deuteronomy 4, read it. Are so intimate with God and so close to God as us, as Israel. But they despised that uh, relationship. They took it for granted. They became more and more narcissistic, more and more focused upon themselves. They would go through the ceremonies that God had given them, them, the daily sacrifices and these kinds of things, but they moved away from them in terms of understanding them and understanding their, um, their necessity. So that when the Lord Jesus Christ came, the, the, uh, the penultimate expression or fulfillment of these sacrifices, they didn't even see the need for him. And he said, except people know that they're sick, except people know that they have need a physician, they won't come to me. And so uh, this is what happened to Israel, and that's what you see reflected here in this first verse. In verse 2, um, uh, Amos talked about how this, this personal faith or this personal relationship of which they should have been more concerned and more aware of, how this brings upon them great responsibility. In other words, God is not like some magician who does his show and then you can sort of take it or leave it. No, God 
uh, as he reveals himself to us in a redeemed state, as he calls uh, calls us to himself, as he redeems us as his own people, that involves obligations and responsibilities. And so that's what Amos was all about here. He came with the bad news that now God was coming with a judgment upon them. And uh, remember, Amos was a Judean. He was from the tribe of Judah. Yet he was called to go and preach to the northern ten tribes about the coming doom. And this happened when Assyria swept over their land and, uh, and swept them off the land. Some of them escaped to Judah and uh, took a residency there with Benjamin and Judah, the two tribes of Benjamin and Judah. But many of them were uh, wiped off the face of the earth in the sense that they were taken into captivity. And uh, some of them were able to come back. Uh, Some of them were lost uh, into the wider world. They were just absorbed uh, into Assyria, into the culture of Assyria. But in this case, God, this was the warning at this point. That had not happened yet. And so in verse 2, we see that uh, we are responsible and that um, uh, that uh, we need to take these things seriously. Uh, God says in verse 2, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. I don't think most Christians today really understand or appreciate that that the the raising up of Israel, the calling of people like Noah before that, that this was a unique process, that none of the other people in the world were called by his spirit, uh, they, uh, at least outwardly. But, but uh, uh, they were called uniquely amongst all the people of the world. So that this one uh, place where God planted a nation was a place of real, privilege and real beauty, real knowledge. It was like the one place in the earth where there was a greenhouse, where there was protective care, where people could learn why they were originally created and how they ought to dwell and how they ought to develop themselves as people of the living God. And so he says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. You see, there's this relationship between what God has done for them and their responsibilities. And that's why I said to begin with that um, that faith is uh, a thing for better. It's for better or worse. When uh, when I have street preached and been on, out in the streets of our land and I've talked about the knowledge of God, I know, I know all the time that, that, that those words that I speak to people, these are people outside the church, most of them, when I speak these words, I know that there's a possibility of salvation with these words. In other words, somebody can hear these things and be drawn to them and come and ask like the disciples did. What, do you, what did you mean by that? Remember about the parables that come and ask Jesus, what did you mean by this parable? And he'd explain it to them. So people, the Holy Spirit can work upon people who otherwise would have no interest in the Lord, but the Holy Spirit would work upon them because they heard this saying, or they heard this idea, or they heard this thought preached. And, and th- that can open up the door to them to begin to ask questions and to come to the church and to ask for enlightenment. But the other side is that when they hear these things and just harden their hearts, that that works in a negative way. The word of God never comes back to God 
vainly or without purpose. Some people see that scripture and they say, well, you know, I, I see there's so much unbelief in the world. And so all the preaching is in, is in vain. No, God is doing two things with the word of God. The word of God either softens hearts and brings them to faith or God, the word of God hardens hearts and drives people away from them. The evangelical church today hardly speaks at all of this negative dimension of the word of God. We ought to preach soberly, warning people that yes, this is the good news. This is the Christ of salvation. But if you do not take of him today, there's an urgency to it. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and be saved. There's no sense that you can just hear this and then in the luxury of your own casual lives, then decide at some point whether to do this or not. If the Holy Spirit is working upon your heart at any time, that is a great and wonderful thing. And you ought to make use of it immediately by coming to him and uh, seeking his face. If what, what you don't understand, find out how you can understand it better from Christians uh, from whom you heard this message or from the Bible itself or uh, from other books and that sort of thing. But the worst thing you can do is just think that you're not responsible for the things that you hear. Now, in this case, we're talking about Israel. So Israel was even more responsible because they heard even more. They had been saved, they'd been brought, they'd been saved from slavery in Egypt, and they'd been brought into the land of Israel, and God had continually talked to them. Amos is not the first prophet, is he? Amos is one of the latter prophets. He's preached to them um, through many prophets before Amos. I mentioned Moses already, Elijah and Elisha. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all were prophets of God. And so all of them had showered Israel with the information with the with the the, uh, the word of God, and uh, that's the same word that we speak. We see in verse three one, hear this word that the Lord Jehovah has spoken against you, all children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought you up from the land of Egypt, saying, "You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities." Now, do you see how these fundamentals of faith are so important? for your understanding of the Lord today. We can talk about the mental dimensions of faith. We can talk about what faith is in, that the saving faith is in the two purposes of Christ, to forgive us of our sins and to enable us to obtain righteousness. That's saving faith. But it means nothing if God is not real. If God is not the God who has entered, the, who created the world, first of all, and then entered the world to save people from their sins. And so you've got to understand and you've got to, you've got to realize the reality of God and the power of God. If you, under, if you want to understand, really understand all the different theological concepts, concepts having to do with the Lord and our relationship with him. <clears throat> that brings us to the third point, then, that uh, that uh, personal is real. And I've tried to belabor that over the years here with my preaching. I've tried to bring, in, in terms of the preaching itself, I try, to, I try to preach with an urgency to you all so that you understand that this is not just some theological discourse, but that it, it has great moment, great significance for you, your life, your children, and your children's children, and that sort of thing. 
But here God says it in uh, in uh, no uncertain terms. From verse 3 to 8, he asks a number of questions. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? He's talking to Israel here. He's, he's implying that they're not walking together right now. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? He wants them to realize that if they're going to walk together, if they're going to be in covenant with each other, they have there has to be some basic, uh, agreement. There has to be a common denominator between them if they're going to be uh, numerically related. Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he's caught nothing? Lions don't or howl or growl, cry out with their growls unless they've accomplished something. And when they when they've, when they've uh, killed a meal for their young and uh, uh, caught some prey, then they they they. they they, they have this um, roar that they make and uh, because they're, they're proud of it. God has created them to have a pride in their ability to catch prey and that sort of thing. He says, will a, will a bird fall, fall into a snare on the earth where there's no trap? Can a bird be trapped if there's no trap? No. He says, will, will, will a snare spring up from the earth if it's caught nothing at all? If you've watched any of these nature programs today, whether in Alaska or some of the mountain men that they have on TV, they show a lot of these men trapping things. They make snare traps, and uh, they put them on tra rabbit trails and that sort of thing so that when the rabbit comes through, if the rabbit's foot goes into the snare and disturbs the trap, just like that, the snare catches the rabbit, and then uh, it's uh, a bad day for the rabbit. You know, he's uh, going to become rabbit stew or uh, at least a part, a part of a rabbit fur purse or something like that. Um, and it's, but, but this will, will the snare go off if there's no trap there at all or if, if nobody is there to disturb it? He says in verse 6, If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? And I love this next verse. If there, if there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Boy, if there's a, if there's a verse in the Bible that ought to be written in gold for modern man, that would be it. Again, if there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? People today get irritated if you say, well, we look at San Francisco and we see that it used to be a sparkling city, one of the great jewels of the West. And today, uh, there's, uh, there's uh, human feces all over the streets, there are needles, and all of, this, the, all of these signs of, of garbage and ruin. Now, people today will get really irritated if you go to the next step and you say, this is because San Francisco has rejected the word of the Lord. Oh, if you go there, if you connect cause and effect with the living God, oh, people get furious with you. What does this verse say? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Now, somebody could make that. Somebody could argue, well, this is talking about the cities of Israel, and that that might work possibly, but. There's so, many other, there's so many other verses in the Bible that, that just that say that, uh, yes, God is especially concerned with Israel as we as he is here in Amos, but God is concerned with the whole world. So Psalm 47 sings of how all peoples ultimately will come to the Lord. The obligation uh, to all people is to, to, to believe in the Lord. Why is that? Well, because he made you. It's not, it's not righteous for you to deny the fingerprints of God that are upon you and lay claim to your heart and your soul. 
So we can argue from the rest of the scriptures very well that this is a concept. But this here is just so wonderful. If there is a calamity in the city, will not the Lord have done it? See, the Bible teaches that God is behind all things. And there, if there are unhappy things that happen to you, uh, we know that they're from the hand of the Lord. Now, the, the only thing we don't know is whether these calamities are for our destruction or for our sanctification. They're not necessarily for our destruction. Mo or uh, Job had terrible persecutions in his life, but they were all to perfect his faith. And so in the end, his faith is held up as a, a great monument to what a man can be to what a family can be before the Lord. Whether the Lord take, gives or the Lord takes away, Job said, uh, I am the Lord's. I will love the Lord. Oh, how, how penetrating and how dear is that concept because it shows that faith is not just uh, uh, into, the, um, into the gospel which says that uh, God, uh, whether God is indebted to make all of us rich people. No, the Lord, the Lord is the Lord regardless of what his providences to us are. But even when he brings us through poverty, as he did Israel, the ultimate purpose is that he would bless us. And even when he brings us through uh, agony here in this world, uh, the purposes of him are to bless us eternally in heaven. I just, I just did a little study on the um, Armenian race, uh, the country of Armenia and its terrible, terrible persecutions uh, in the early part of the 20th century. And I ne I'd never realized before that uh, Adolf Hitler got, got many of his ideas of what to do to the Jews by what the Turks had already done to the uh, Armenians. Just terrible, terrible persecutions. He, uh, they, 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 shot, they shot most of the young men and boys, uh, in order to get rid of any rebellion amongst the Armenians in the in the east of Turkey, and then they they made the women and the children go on these murderous marches, uh, hundreds of miles, uh, where so many died along the way, or they were shot. Other bestial things were done to them. Uh, once their men were taken away for to protect them, it, it just reminds us that it wasn't just the Marxists of the 20th century that have done these things. People are terribly cruel to one another. But why are they? Why are they cruel to each other? Because they have cut themselves off from the living God, and God has given them over to all kinds of bestiality, cruelty, and terror. And so. Uh, God, um, God is, uh, sends this to his own people. He's threatening them. He's showing them that if, uh, if they continue to go in this way, <clears throat> they, will, they will inherit, if they continue to sow the wind, they will inherit the whirlwind. Verse 7 says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Amos was one of these. And then I love the way this section closes. It says, a lion has roared. He began using pictures of a lion roaring because he caught a prey. Well, he says now, a lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? So Amos is saying here, what can I do? I cannot hold back. The Lord has sprung upon my heart. He has opened my mouth. He's given me a message. Shall I not preach it? 
Shall I not prophesy unto you, O Israel? And he says, Yes, I will. Uh, a lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy about it? Because the Lord is personally uh, dedicated to his people. He has chosen this people. He has chosen the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they do not behave, he will hold them accountable. When we say today, what, what has happened here? This country was started as a Puritan country in the 1620s. The same people that wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith were the people that founded this country. And for 200 years, for better or worse, from the early 1600s to the end of the 1700s, almost 200 years, uh, for better or worse, there wasn't all a, a, it wasn't all one single strain of Puritan revival, believe me. But for 200 years, this nation had took him, taken upon himself the name of the Lord. Then, unhappily, when we formed a republic in the late 1700s, we secularized the process. We, we still spoke about the Lord and the Declaration of Independence. We spoke about God, but we no longer tied him to his name, Jehovah. We no longer tied him to uh, the name of his son, Jesus Christ. At the time, there were all these religious wars in Europe, and the, the great thinkers of America assumed that if they just stepped back a little bit from this religious commitment, that they could, we could avoid uh, the religious conflagration that was going on in Europe at the time. We'd ask today, has that worked? I don't think so. We're so foolish today, we don't even know where the boys' room is and the girls' room is. That's, that's what God has given us over to. Foolishness. Decadence. We have a Supreme Court justice that can't even define what she is, a woman. She knows, but she's confused about her, what she does know. And she thinks it's better not to say what she knows. So um, the, that, that's, uh, that's the end result of this. And Amos was trying to save Israel from becoming this way in history. We know that uh, this is this both worked and it didn't work because some people repented, some people took the Lord more seriously. The parents of Jesus Christ, Mary and Joseph, they were such people as this. When, when uh, they were told that that Mary was going to bear the Messiah, they were overwhelmed with the consequences. They didn't totally understand it, but they took God a hundred percent seriously. That was the that was the beginning of the Christian churches. This boy was born, and he rose up like Amos and began to prophesy unto the people, and they took him seriously. Some did. Others turned their backs on him. In the, the history of Judaism in the 20th and the, from the first century on is, a, is a, 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 sad, a sad history in many ways. We see where God continued to bless them in many ways intellectually, but not in terms of faith, unless they turn unto the Lord. And that's the same obligation that falls upon us today. The, the people in this building right now are people of tremendous blessing. God has given us so much. The children that are here, do not, do not look at your parents and say, oh, mom and dad, they say this, and I understand that they believe it in their hearts, but it's not real. Look at everybody else around me and the rest of the society. They live differently. They think differently. And, you know, I'd kind of like to, to live like those other people sometimes. 
Please, children, do not think that in your hearts. Whatever your parents are encouraging you to do, they are not too strict. They, they, believe me, we, I, I used to think this about my family. If my kids hold it against me because of my piety, boys, that's the wrong, wrong thing to find fault with. You need to find fault with my worldliness, my lack of faith, my waywardness, my weakness. But don't find faith. Well, don't find fault with my faith. Because what little is there is worked up by the Holy Spirit and has come from him and not from me. And God is calling us like he called Israel back in this day. See what is real. Uh, see the, the, the fundamentals of faith. The, the personal nature of it, the responsibility of it, and the reality of it. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that thou wouldst be with us. And bless us, we often are like uh, prophets who prophesy in the wilderness where there are no, there's no one, it seems like there's no one to hear. We pray, O oh Lord, that when we live and when we speak, that you would give people ears to hear. You'd raise up a new people. That you'd raise up a new generation of those who, whose ears had been made fleshly and could hear the great things of the living God. Bless us, O oh Lord through Jesus Christ and his power to save us from our sin. In his name we pray, amen.